The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on IFM. And as usual, going to give you a summary of all the latest news, some opinion. And unfortunately, I had a really cool guest lined up for today, but... You know, life happens and unfortunately I had to cancel, but we'll move it on till next week where we talk about, we talk to a lot of interesting people and get their views and input on all sorts of crazy stuff, gadgets and gizmos and technologies that really impact our lives. But I want to start on a really good note this week. As many of you may or may not have noticed, the RAND has been performing exceptionally well over the last little while. And one of the consequences of RAND weakness or strength, and it's pretty direct because of the way that most technology companies work in terms of how they buy and how quickly they buy their tech. Essentially, the, as the, the technology is extremely sensitive to the value of the RAND, and the RAND over the last year has really not performed well, and it's pushed the price of gizmos and gadgets up like nobody's business. And we've all felt the pricing go crazy from smartphones to simple gadgets like toasters even. But the good news is that over the last little while, the RAND has really been performing well. I'm not entirely um, sure which way and where it all goes. But the fact is, a lot of gadgets and gizmos have actually started dropping in price. And especially if you're looking for big ticket items, and we're going to be talking about a couple of those uh, this week, some big brand new LG um, OLEDs and all the rest that are coming, some great new TVs from Samsung and from LG. So um, the pricing of these have dropped considerably, and I do believe that we're going to see some really interesting pricing around a lot of the gadgets. Smartphones will get slightly cheaper, and I think we're going to see a little bit of a, a boost for those guys who need to upgrade their TVs, upgrade their gizmos, gadgets, smartphones, and the rest, which is always Always great news. And as I sort of alluded to a second ago, LG have launched their new 2021 TV range in South Africa this week. And it was an extremely interesting launch. More OLEDs, but they introduced a new thing called the, I've gone completely blank, but especially, I don't know why I just suddenly forgot um, the name of that, but they've launched a new range of TVs between the OLED and the current LED TVs that are probably the de facto entry point in the market. And these are essentially backlit LCD TVs. Now, all LCD LCD TVs are backlit, but this is a whole new way of backlighting TVs. And surprise, surprise, Samsung have also launched a whole new range of these TVs. And I'll get into a lot more of that in a little while because I was sent a brand new um 55-inch for now, but uh, C1 LG OLED, which is their new 2020 range, which, interestingly, now that they've launched the 2021 range, is, I wouldn't say obsolete, but it's very interesting to see how far and how quickly OLED has come. And um, we'll talk a little bit about the new range versus the old range. The benefit of the older range is that I believe that you'll be able to pick up a great TV at ridiculously good pricing because they will obviously try to clear the shelves for the new one going forward. So timing is, well, timing's everything in most cases. And in this case, 
you might be able to pick up a really spectacular C-series OLED TV, both in, in sizes from 49 all the way up to 77 inches at prices that could be extremely attractive. Obviously, if you're a gadget freak like myself and someone who always has to have the cutting edge thing and you're going to buy a new TV, which I'm not, um, you would then look at the 2021 range, which has some really interesting new product or sort of new features for 2021. They've boosted the, the brightness. They've done a couple of interesting things on the processor. So LG are pushing really, really hard to to dominate the space with some pretty unique technology and introducing new mini-LED technology, which sort of bridges the gap. Similar performance, not quite as sharp, not quite as uh, as good as OLED, but certainly significantly cheaper. And we'll talk a lot about that a little bit later. And uh, other good news this week is that Vodacom, much to no one's surprise, posted excellent results for um, the, the past little period. And it's to be expected. There's just no question that um, the lockdowns and this whole COVID issue has created enormous demand for connectivity across everything. The fiber people and everyone have reported massive increases in um, the utilization and the straight capacity needs in their, their networks on um, on fiber, bro- everything, all the wireless stuff, all broadband and everything of this nature. And it becomes quite a big deal for all these networks because they've had to obviously invest a ton of money in increasing their capacity and making sure that we can deliver on all their promises. And fiber being probably the, the biggest beneficiary as we slowly, in fact, uh, telecom have are quietly shutting down at quite a rapid rate from what I understand their old um, ADSL network and fiber is taking over wherever the, that network exists because they tend to be urban and they tend to be able to be replaced by another fixed cable network. But wireless is without question the way that the vast majority of South Africans connect to the internet, connect with each other and do whatever needs to be done in a normal day. And Vodacom have and MTN and all of them have definitely benefited hugely over the last little while with regard to what is happening in this space. And Vodacom's results were excellent. They generally grew very strongly over the last um, little while. They've seen massive increase in their, their data utilization and their network with their launch of 5G in very limited ways has expanded. They've invested a ton of money in their new network. But there was one little um, sort of tidbit in their presentation that got me thinking, and that was that Vodacom are trying once again to get back into the financial services and e-commerce and payment market. They've signed a deal with Alipay. Now, Alipay is part of Alibaba. It is a huge Chinese company that dominates with no question the online um, retail and online e-commerce scene in China and is in fact bigger than um, Amazon pretty much anywhere in the world. So it's not that well known outside of um, outside of China. And I mean, a lot of people I know have bought stuff from China using Alibaba. But Alipay is their financial services arm and they have created an incredibly seamless link between e-commerce, payments and all the rest. Now, Vodacom have partnered with them and they are going to bring out a whole new financial services uh, product, which they, is going to focus on the, on a so-called super app, which they call it. My concern about this is that they've tried with 
um, so many so many of these mobile companies have tried with financial services. Vodafone or Vodacom had a massive success with M-Pesa um, in in Kenya and in Tanzania for very specific reasons. They weren't there was a complete dearth of, of actual banking. People needed to go electronic. They needed to pay. They set up a network of of agents and stores and ways of getting money in and out of the real economy into their system. And it worked exceptionally well. They massively grew their market share there. And eventually it became probably the biggest banking platform in that region. They tried to launch it in South Africa twice or three times. No, I think it was twice. Spent a ton of money on it and it just did, had got no traction. And for me, the, re- the real simple reason is that those that are banked are banked and those that are unbanked are still operating in the cash economy. And there is a lot more to be said between the two. So, have a look as it comes out. It apparently will be launched in the next couple of weeks. See if you need another way of paying, another way of working. Keep your eyes and ears open for Vodacom. There's no question that it, uh, it, it, it's a serious player in the space. They've got the financial wherewithal to make finance a big deal. But my, my opinion is it's not a natural fit. It's not something that they really particularly focused on. And it's not something that, despite their massive scale, that they'll be able to really get off the ground for two reasons. One, they're not a financial services company as much as they would love to be. And number two, I don't believe there's much of a gap or, or, or need to solve another problem, another QR code, doesn't matter how it's based, another method of paying for something that adds a layer of complexity to an already pretty simple and easy-to-use platform. So... Watch the space. Obviously, both Vodacom and MTN uh, are pushing quite hard. They see financial services as a massive potential revenue market for them. Um, I believe simply because of their scale, they'll have some success. But I don't believe it'll be anywhere near becoming a ubiquitous payment platform like it has in China, where you know Alipay is, is pretty much the way that most people work. So amongst other QR code type based payment platforms that are all mobile and all very integrated with the entire shopping and retail experience. So let's watch the space. A lot of info will come out and we'll decide then where we're going with that. And before we carry on, we've got to have a quick break for our sponsors. And then I'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe where we're talking all about Google. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Oh, welcome back. And Google. Google is everywhere and unfortunately as i said no no interesting guest today but i'm talking about google and google io and why it's important now again google is something that every single one of us touch at some point i know very there are a couple of diehard techies that i'm aware of i know of that insist they would not use any google product ever and privacy and all the rest the simple fact is that google in the west doesn't exist, not allowed in China and other places. Well, China, essentially. But in the West, where we live and operating across the Western world, Google has become the de facto go-to tech place for everyone. If you want to know something about something, you Google it. If you want to go somewhere, you use Google Maps. If you want to, if you use pretty much any other mapping uh, platform, such as Waze or if you use um, Uber, Google Maps are involved there at some level. They've mapped the world in a way that 
has never existed in 3D, in real time, in every single which way known known to technology and man currently. And all of that is available for nothing. Pretty much all you need to enter this crowd of the Google is an internet connection and the ability to uh, read. It's pretty simple. There's nowhere you can go in the world that can get lost if you have a connection. And even if you don't have a connection, you can download sufficient areas on onto your device and still have all the routing and mapping that you could possibly want as long as the satellites are flying in the sky. So Google has become an inextricable part of our lives going forward at every single level. You name it, Google's involved everywhere. Certain areas they haven't had tremendous success, such as in the, in the, in the office on your desktop for business, things like that. They've got products and services that operate there, but perhaps that's where Microsoft has done a more comprehensive job. They've been at it longer. They control the operating system, and they've done an exceptional job. Apple have got their own suite of products that are exceptional in some areas, but nothing globally even comes close to Google in terms of scope, scale, and ultimate reach. And having the largest mobile operating system, no disrespect to Apple, which I think is still a great product, and I love using their OS with Google apps, of course. I actually find some of the Google apps are better on iOS than they are on Google. But that's a whole other story. Uh, um, uh, Android, not Google. That's a whole other story. But Google I.O. is their developer conference, and it sets the trend for where Google are going. And that is why it's so critically important to know what was announced and where they're going. Now, obviously, they used to make a big fuss of it, and people used to go. But of late, it's all been virtual. And I just want to give you a quick run through of some of the key issue, key sort of technologies, the key things that are coming out of Google I.O. 2021. And you are going to see um, in the next couple of months, you know, hitting either a smartphone or in the next couple of days and weeks um, across a browser where you are. One of the biggest announcements, apart from anything that we were discussing, is the launch of Android 12. Now, Android 12 will run on more smartphones, a couple of billion smartphones across the world. A little bit less, a little bit more fragmented than that. Unfortunately, because of the nature of Android, it's not quite like Apple, where once they roll out an iOS update, it goes to probably 80, 90% of their smartphones. Because Google don't direct work directly with the consumer, they do have their own range of phones, pretty much for in America. You can buy some in Europe, but nowhere else, and certainly not in South Africa. They tend to work through partners like Samsung, like um, Oppo, like Xiaomi. Anyone who makes a smartphone that uses the Google operating system works with Google to, and, uh, you know, and Samsung and all these guys work with them to continue bringing all the updates. So the updates tend to be a little slower. Most of the big ones, big manufacturers got much better. But they announced Android 12. And from what I've seen and everything that I've read, Android 12 is quite a big change to Android as we know it. Lots and lots of changes, certainly a big visual change, a lot of changes to um, the back end. Obviously, the apps and everything else that are coming out um, are going to have to change, be a lot more secure, and um, a big, big push into privacy. Privacy has become a huge challenge globally, and it's certainly legislated in many areas like South Africa with Papua Act coming into in little more than six weeks, GDPR in the U, in in Europe and many other similar um, sort of legislations kicking off in 
in a place like Australia, Canada, and in many, many other countries. So the privacy thing is becoming bigger and bigger, and no question that the new version of Android 12 is going to bring those things to the fore. Again, you don't really notice that, but you will notice the new look and feel. If you want my opinion, the look and feel of iOS and Android are getting closer and closer, which the Android people will tell me Google, uh, uh, Apple pinched from Google, and Apple will just have no comment. So that's neither here nor there. But either way, it looks cooler, looks rounder, it looks a little, it looks a little bit more fresh, and off you go. Another big announcement, which is really, really, really quite surprising, is that Google Wear or Google Watch OS is now going to be called Google Wear, and Samsung have joined with Google, who recently bought Fitbit, to bring the Google Wear OS to all Samsung's Tizen wearable operating systems. A while back, Samsung broke away from from using Google Wear on their smart devices or smartwatches and created their own uh, product called Tizen, which, again, didn't really make much difference. But what it did mean is that Samsung watches worked best with Samsung phones. Didn't work very well with others. It worked well, but not quite to the same level because obviously Tizen wasn't a, a native product of the Google ecosystem. Well, now they're coming together. They're going to update and um, increase the speed of apps, more apps, and give developers a completely unified platform across Samsung, which is the number two smartwatch manufacturer in the world, um, Fitbit, which is the number of one sort of smart and health tracker uh, product in the world, and, of course, all the other people who use Google Wear. So I think it's a great idea, and I think they will start integrating very, very, very soon, and we'll start seeing updates that will bring all these products right up to date with the latest updates from Google. Again, there are detractors, and there's no question that Apple has got a hell of a lead in the smart watch space. But at the price, there are a lot of people that are very, very, very happy with their Samsung and other products that use um, a version, not yet, but a user version of, of Wear OS. So we're going to see a lot of um, really important changes there. The other and really significant change that's coming is that Google are pushing incredibly hard on their whole AI platform. And AI or machine learning, which I prefer to call it because these things aren't truly smart, they're just truly clever. There's a big difference between the two. But AI is going to be used for more and more things. Now, they've built AI across the entire stack. So from simple things like just doing Google Googling, when you shop with Google, they're now going to improve it by having a shopping graph that in includes information across the web, including reviews. So what you can do, there's a product called Google Lens. If you've never tried it, try it. It's pretty spectacular. One of the best sort of uses, and you fashionistas out there might just appreciate this one. If you take a picture, now do not be creepy, do not take pictures of people without their permission. If you take a picture of someone's shoes, for example, and you're very keen to know where they're from without walking up to a person and saying, excuse me, where did you buy your shoes? Take a picture of someone's shoes with Google Lens and ask Google to find out where those shoes are from. And you'll get all the information regarding those shoes, where you can buy it online, where's the best price, etc., etc. So any photo using Google Lens, any photo using Google Search now uses their back-end AI to do the most remarkable stuff 
with regard to um, where you can find it, where you can buy it. So shopping with Google has definitely um, improved. And you're going to start seeing these things coming right now through the Google browser. As the browser updates, this is the sort of stuff they can fix straight away. This will be both on your phone, on your computer, wherever. Also, there will be an option. Now, again, this is a privacy concern. You're going to have to give permission for this. Google Chrome will be able to see all your online shopping carts with items in them. So if you've done shopping at any stage and you're, you haven't checked out but left them in the cart, Google will then look for any available coupons or look at your loyalty programs to see if there's a way that you can save even more money. I mean, this is like next level invasive in some ways for those of you that are super concerned that Google has all this information. But for others, I know that I always do a little search for coupons when I buy anything online because there's always something, some deal, 5% off here, 10% off there, 20% first time buyers sign up for our newsletter, get an extra 10%. And it adds up. You know, if you do a lot of your shopping online or you're buying fairly big ticket electronics or clothing items, a coupon can make a huge difference to to what you spend. Now, there are third-party sites that do a lot of this, but Google in its normal fashion, something that Microsoft also used to do, take cool apps from third parties and just integrate them in the OS. Well, that's exactly what Google's doing. They're taking really cool, clever, smart apps or smart functionality from other companies and just putting them into the core um, operating system or the core browser and using the massive computing power of Google to be able to um, take it essentially to the next level. So if Google knows where you shop, what you buy, what's still in your your, um, basket, knows your tastes, know where you live, it can offer you information and intelligence around your shopping decisions that is pretty much next level. And it'll all happen in a very seamless, easy way. In fact, it's getting to the point with some of the smart AI that's there that, um, you know, it'll, it'll be standard, standard fare. You just, you won't shop without getting all that sort of information. They've also, they announced that there are four trillion photos stored in Google Photos, which is pretty insane. Four trillion. And it's just a number that very few of us could even conceive. And what they're doing is they're bringing a new AI feature to photos called Little Patterns. What they're going to do is surface these photos, let's say a coffee cup, and then group them into photo albums for you. So depending on your viewing experiences, pretty much like what happens in Pinterest and what happens on Instagram, the more you look at a particular type of photo, though in the back end, it'll start getting similar objects together and give you little bits of information from deep in your photo, stuff you forgot completely about. It already does that to some extent, creates little uh, little albums that are cool to look at, especially around memories. It's something that sometimes I find really useful, other times pretty bizarre because stuff in there that makes zero sense. But I think the AI running in the background is going to get smarter and smarter. They'll also allow you, they are working on a tool which they announced, that you can remove certain people from or a time frame in your life from your photos memories so for example if you have an ex who's a problem and you don't want to have them keep popping up in your memories something funny a lot a lot of people have spoken to me about times things that they just don't want to see and they hate being reminded about you can now physically select that say from this date to that date i am not going to, i do not want to have any further prompts and boom it'll happen or based on a face i don't want to see this person 
in my feed at any point in time. I'm not ready to delete all my pictures, if you could find them, though you probably could now with this new feature. Um, however, it's coming, and it's coming really, really, really fast. The next and interesting, but again, pretty seriously uh, powerful tool that they announced is they're going to use AI to identify skin conditions. Now, again, there are a couple of apps that do that. So if you've got a little bump or a, a rash or something on your skin and you can you can use the camera on your smartphone to actually check it out, point the camera at the bump or rash, and you'll get an answer as to what it could potentially be. Health warning. Do not diagnose it yourself. Do not take any action without going to see your doctor. But I think as an early warning idea, as something that technology can help you with, often you just see a little bump, it's benign, you don't worry about it. It certainly could, just from a little quick scan through Google, uh, let you know that this potentially is a problem and get you uh, off to the doctor a little bit, a little bit earlier. And as I said, Chrome is getting smarter. They're throwing a whole host of new things at it, new password tools. You can import passwords from other places. And the deeper password manager integration is going to come across Google and Android. So, in other words, if you're on Chrome, you'll be able to work it on Android and vice versa, which, again, starts stepping on the toes of many third-party apps. But for many people, it, it, it's pretty much free built into the whole operating system of Google and Android and would work extremely, extremely well. Search is also getting some seriously big upgrades. And I think we're going to see a lot of changes in that space. But overall, the theme of the I.O. this year was very much bringing more more stuff to people, enhancing the apps enormously. So, for example, not particularly relevant in South Africa where riding a bike is, is sometimes an exercise in taking your life into your own hands. But they've added 150,000 kilometers of bike lanes across the world. So when you're traveling one day... Um, you'll be able to, you know, get proper bike advice. They're also adding green routes to maps. So in other words, it won't be the quickest, it won't be the fastest, it won't be the shortest, it'll be the most green, which is very, very, very cool. So you'll be able, um, it'll look at how long it takes you to go places um, and what, how often you break. It'll use all that sort of information which it's already collecting from every time you use Google navigation and offer you the, the, the route that has the least stops, uses the least fuel and allows you to get to the place within a reasonable amount of time and still save money overall. Something that some people may be really concerned about and others may not, but it just shows exactly where and how strongly um, they are enhancing all their apps using the massive amount of data that they have at their disposal. So watch the space. Google are getting really serious about continuing to be smarter and smarter and smarter. And unfortunately for uh, many, many operators, you just land up being more and more involved in the Google ecosystem because it is essentially free and it is so, so useful to all of us. Cannot imagine life without it. So before we go on to my favorite section, which is always gadgets of the week, and I've got a big gadget to play with the last couple of weeks, and um, we'll be back straight after this with a word from our sponsors. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to the gadget and gizmo, I was very 
fortunate to get a huge brand new LG TV and a soundbar for review for the last couple of weeks. And I'm a big fan of LG OLED TVs. I think I've been pretty um, open about that. I've tried a lot of TVs and I've spent a lot of time looking at different types of TVs. And currently, for the most part, OLED TV is my choice of TV currently. So if you're looking for a new um, TV, if your TV needs to be refreshed or upgraded or updated or whatever the story is, moving from an LCD to an OLED TV, TV is nothing short of a revelation. OLED has and has a couple of limitations which I think must be borne in mind. Born in mind. One, they're not the brightest TVs on the market. So if you're in an incredibly large room with lots of glass and lots of bright light, you will probably find that an OLED TV will be very washed out during the day and will not be the punchiest, coolest TV to watch sport on or to do anything with in really, really bright situations. Two, if you like to keep the TV on playing music or just going in the background 24 by 7, it's a small, small thing, but it does actually happen, and that you get a little bit of burn-in on the screen. In other words, you find that certain fixed lines like the banner at the bottom of CNN's broadcasts or a logo that, like a DSTV logo, if it's left on the screen for too long without anything moving, you can get a little bit of burn-in and you see a little ghost image in the TV going forward for a long while. Now, the new generation of panels from about 2017 onwards have definitely minimized that effect considerably. I've not seen it. I've not noticed the problem. And there's been very little talk about that globally, but it is a possibility. The new other TVs from other manufacturers and certainly the competitive QLEDs from Samsung are a good 50% brighter with very, very outstanding um, quality and picture quality, but they they don't they lack in certain areas that OLED is particularly spectacular. The difference between OLED and any other product essentially is that every single dot on the screen of an OLED TV is self-emissive. So there's no backlighting, there's no lights coming from anywhere. Every dot you see, the light is generated by itself um, on the screen. And generally, it allows for the sharpest, clearest, and most delineated picture that you'll ever see. The other benefit is when the, the item is off, it is off. There's absolutely nothing um, else on the screen. So blacks are incredibly deep. In fact, they're as black as you're going to get. So the contrast gives the ability for color and brightness that is pretty much spectacular in decent lighting settings. So at night, in the evening, when you've turned the lights down, OLED TVs are unbelievable. And the LG CX, which comes in a whole host of different sizes, has their late, it's a 2020 version, and they've just announced their 2021 versions. But essentially, the benefit of this is, is that the 2020 versions are pretty. At home as reference, I've now got a 2019, 2017, and 2020 OLED panel. And the biggest difference between the three panels, essentially, is the sharpness and the brightness. The 2020 panel and the 2019 panel being significantly brighter than the 2017 panel. And the 2020 panel, with its processing, is definitely sharper. Colors are more accurate. The picture's more 3D than the 2019 version. The 2021, which I've not seen, and which has just been released now, 
apparently is significantly brighter than the 2020 panel, which is quite a big thing, and has very much more advanced processing. So I believe a far, far, far superior picture is coming from those. But I do believe that the 2020 CX range, which is available, still available on the shelves, has dropped in price and will be extremely good value if you're looking for a top-end OLED TV. The interface is probably the slickest around. The only the only real gripe I have with LG TVs is their their remote is plastic. The numbers rub off. It's not the greatest quality when you're spending enormous amounts of money on a TV. So my take on the the CX range is pretty much the best picture you're going to find in certain circumstances, not bright light being one of those. But for sport, no lag. For gaming, a special gaming mode gives you the most incredible picture that you can imagine with zero lag. And that's another problem. You know, when you're watching a soccer match and the ball moves across the screen, if there's any lag, it blurs. You can't see every single square in the screen, in the, in the picture. When someone runs, the face goes just a touch fuzzy. Does not happen with OLED. So sports fanatics will probably find OLEDs are by far the best. Again, rival products that are not OLED are, are, have come along in leaps and bounds. But essentially, an OLED TV gives you an incredible, incredible um, experience with gaming, sport, and just general movies and everything. So, again, looking at, at these TVs, very impressed with the new CX 2020 range. And I can't wait to try the new OLED Evo um, panels that are coming with the new C1 and, and CX series for 2021. The two, the real benefits of the newer ones coming now, and I'll just quickly segue into that because I can see we're running out of time, is that the new series has got about a 30% more uh, brightness, a slightly better processor, and certainly a couple of extra features, which are, um, which are, you know, quite a, quite a benefit, not a huge thing. But the biggest announcement LG announced was something called they call QNED, which is a mini LED TV. Now, mini LED is still an LCD TV, except the difference is what they've done for backlighting is they've created a matrix of millions, if not hundreds of thousands, of particular little lights behind the LCD panel, which gives you the impression that you're dealing with a self-emissive type of TV. So... Similar to OLED, which every dot has a light, with a QNED TV from LG, you're getting an LCD TV that has probably 70% of the ability of self-lighting every single pixel. Maybe not as accurate. And from what I've seen on some of the Samsung devices, direct uh, sort of mini LED type lighting moves the normal LCD about 80% or 85% closer to the sort of blacks and contrasts that you get from OLED. So the new and the biggest difference is that the pricing of a QNED is about half that of an OLED. So my my advice is have a look at the new QNED TVs. I think they'll be on the shelves in the next couple of weeks. And you should be able to see or not see a big difference between that and a, uh, an OLED. The OLED will remain sharper and ultimately will give you a more detailed and crisper picture. But I think the the new, the new um, QNED or mini LED TVs will definitely bring you a lot closer to the black, to the blacks, the contrasts, and the quality that we're starting to take for granted on OLED TVs, along with added brightness, no burn-in, and 
around about 30 to 40 percent less price. So nothing wrong with that. I mean, for example, it's in the region of um, it's in the region of 30 to 40 grand for a 55 for a 65 to 75 inch TV, which is big difference when you start looking at some of the new LG OLEDs, which can go up to 550,000 rand. And on that note, we have a quick break for our sponsors, and I'll be back with a little bit of vice and two things that directly impact the pandemic. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to something that, <laughs> a totally random thing that I was sent for review, being a tech reviewer, of course, is some COVID masks or, or, or masks from a company called AirPop. Now, not something I'd ever heard of and not something I'd seen anywhere, but essentially AirPop are a company that make some really cool masks. And if you're training, if you're running, and if you're wearing masks, check out the AirPop masks. They're available from iStores pretty much and other stores across the country. I've used them for a while now, and I've found them extremely comfortable. They've got all the real certifications, everything that you would want. And especially for sport, they've got reusable or re and uh, not reusable, replaceable inner um, activated uh, filters that you can change. And I've trained a couple. I've, tra- I've been to the gym with them a few times, and I found them infinitely easier to train with than some of these sort of other masks. They're not super cheap, but you can use them again and again for the most part. They can up to 40 hours for each one. So I've, I've had some pretty good experience using them. And unfortunately, despite the rollout of the vaccine that's going on now, many more months of wearing masks in public places, I can believe coming. So check these out. Uh, not the cheapest masks on the market, but they certainly are the most comfortable and the best quality that I've used pretty much anywhere. And um, again, you can use them more than simply once. And if you use them for sport and they get yucky, you just take out the lining and uh, put in a new one and off you go again. So check that out just for the Moz. The biggest problem that uh, we all have is that we cannot travel right now. But hopefully within the next two to three months, international travel and African travel will definitely start happening again. And one of the things you absolutely have to have is a SIM card. Now, I looked at uh, what Telcom are doing, and it's great that you can now get roaming, but you can pay up to 300,000 rand per gig of data, which makes it essentially unaffordable. Not even a multimillionaire or someone who doesn't want to, or a business who doesn't want to um, use a, 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 wants to roam would spend that sort of money. So my advice is to use a platform such as No Roaming, that's No Roaming, or buy a local SIM when you land. So well done, Telcom, for you know at least making it available for SMS and phone calls, which sometimes is useful. But data absolutely 100% makes sense for you to buy a local SIM when you land, wherever you are, or to use a product with their eSIMs or you know SIM stickers such as No Roaming, which allows you to buy reasonably priced, not super cheap, but reasonably priced data roaming pretty much anywhere in the world while you retain your number. So it's super, super useful for um, traveling for business. And even if you're traveling to multiple countries for a short period, or you're doing a little bit of a tour of Europe or something, where there is there is roaming across the various uh, uh, countries, but certainly to use a platform like No Roaming or a local SIM 
makes huge sense. Do not spend 300,000 rand per gig. We're going to hear these stories. And on that note, I'm afraid I'm going to have to wish you farewell for another week. Same time, same place, lots more gadgets and hopefully a lot less sirens. And we will take it from there from then. Thanks so much for joining me.